0: fantastic day to be in church, to celebrate as we go into the Holy Week, to remember what Jesus has done for us, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. I am so glad that you are here today. Good morning. All right, very good. I want to encourage you today, as you walk out, um, we have these cards they are in stacks of five. These little cards say Easter on it. It has a map to get to our church. It even has our service times on here. I want to encourage you, these cards will not do us any good next week because it says Easter on it. These cards won't do us any good if we don't take and invite people. If we want to see people saved, if we want to see new people in our church, we have to do one simple thing, and that's to do what? Invite. We have to ask. And so I want to encourage you, have a challenge, take a challenge. Take five of these and say, okay, somehow, way, I'm getting out five of these this next week. You have no idea who they might be right now. Maybe you already have all five figured out, and you say, I know who I'm going to give it to. I've got my neighbor. I've got um, this person that I interact with at the, at the workout facility, Your coffee, where you get your coffee. You know where you're going to give them out. Maybe some of you do. Maybe some of you are going, I have no idea. I want to encourage you. Take five cards and pray and ask God, God, okay, this week I'm giving out five. I don't know where they're going to go. I don't know what's going to happen, but would you give me opportunities to pass these out? Now, again, if you're going to leave these as a tip, Or at a restaurant, you're going to leave it with your tip. Make sure you tip well. Okay, do not tip bad and poorly uh, because it does have the name of our church on there. We want to represent this well. All right, so tip well if you're going to actually leave this with uh, one of the cards. Um, I'm expecting great things this week. I know that you are as well, and I want to challenge you as we enter this holy week. Do your best to take an extra few minutes to read the story of Jesus to read the story of at least the, the last week, to maybe read the story of the trial, to read the story of the crucifixion, to read the story of resurrection. I don't know. I, I have several different uh, things that I do every year uh, when it comes to Holy Week. There's certain things that I watch. There's also a couple of things that, um, like the Passion. We like to watch that. We like to watch um, a couple other things. And then there's also um, some books that I, I typically like to reread. Um, from different authors, and there's uh, also, obviously, just reading the biblical accounts. I don't know how you prepare and how you walk through this week, but I want to encourage you, take some extra time to prepare and to think and to meditate on what Jesus Christ has done for you this week. All right? If you have your Bibles, I'm going to be going to Jeremiah. That's in the Old Testament, not Jeremiah the bullfrog, uh, but Jeremiah. Uh, Chapter 10 is where we're going to be going today, Jeremiah chapter 10. And we're going to start talking about myths. Myths in which we believe. And we're going to talk about three, three lies that we consistently believe in. And maybe we don't necessarily believe immediately. If you say it and you hear the words, you're going, I, I don't really believe that. But yet, when you begin to see how it's seeping into our culture and seeping into religion, then you begin to say, oh yeah, maybe it is there. Maybe it is in this place. Can you think of the most famous famous scarecrow in the movies? Wizard of Oz. That's the most famous scarecrow. You remember, remember this guy? He, um, he, he wanted one thing. What was that one thing that he wanted? He wanted a brain, right? If I only had a brain, and he sings a song, and you start dancing, and he always wants, he wants a brain. A scarecrow, it's one of those simple things that you don't actually see as um, scary, do you? Typically, they're in a field or you've seen pictures of them and they're just in a field and and their primary purpose is to resemble or to fabricate the image or the frame of someone being in the field so that it would actually scare the birds away or scare varmints away so that they would not get into the corn or so they would not get into the cucumbers or they wouldn't get into whatever the garden patch there is. Last year, um, uh, I think it was last year, we did a little garden in our backyard and when we did a little garden in our backyard, one of the things that we had to do is we had to find what? A scarecrow. The kids wanted to put a scarecrow in there. And now, the problem with our scarecrow was that it ended up being only like this big. <laughs> so it was like a little baby in the, scare, in, the, in the garden, so it didn't do as much as what it needed to do. But it was still it was quite fun to to have, to have this little scarecrow that we put out. Now, we understand the purpose of a scarecrow. It doesn't do anything to us. It really doesn't scare us. Now, every once in a while, if you've ever seen those images of um, they cut out the cardboard anymore, and now they cut it out of plywood, and they put those images in in the the fields, it kind of can make you have a second look where you look back and say, what what did I just see? And you see a frame or something like that. But other than that, it really doesn't scare us. Now, we are going to move into Jeremiah chapter 10. And here's what happens. Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. He is known for his crying out, for his pain and suffering of seeing God's people not being God's people. For his people to have, to have left God, to have trust other gods. And today what we're going to be looking at and what we're going to be seeing is we're going to see other gods. One of the biggest lies that we have believed, one of the biggest thoughts that has creeped in and it is creeping into our Christianity is that God can be anything that we want him to be. And here's the reality. We don't get to define who God is. God defines himself. And God is not what we want, but God is who he is. Does that make sense? God is who he is, and it's us who have to actually come alongside and understand who he is. The problem is, is that we live in a culture in which there are numerous God's. If I could, I would say scarecrow gods, or idols is what is also used in the Bible, idols. There are numerous idols in which we say, well, that's who God is, that's what God is, and we say, if, in the front, we'd say, no, we haven't really believed that, we're Christians, we know what we believe, and I would agree, but quite often culture begins to seep in to even how we live and into the fabric. And Jeremiah chapter 10, God has a message to Jeremiah, to the prophet, and it is To give out to Israel. To speak to the Israelites and say, listen, you're living amongst other nations. You're living amongst other gods. And you're going to see other gods on a constant basis. You're going to see these little g-gods. But what I need you to understand is this, is that there's only one true living God. And you don't define Him. He defines Himself. Jeremiah chapter 10, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? Here's what the Bible says. Hear the word that the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, Learn not the ways of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the the nations are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are vanity. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so that it cannot move. Their idols are like, what, scarecrows in a cucumber field, and they cannot speak. They have to be carried, for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great and mighty. And all God's people said, Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love, your goodness, your grace, and your mercy. And God, what an amazing God we serve. And we say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for loving us, for caring for us. Today we celebrate, truly, Palm Sunday, the day in which the last week begins of Jesus' life and ministry here on earth. We say thank you. Thank you for what this week represents, how that without Jesus going to the cross We could not have forgiveness. Without next Sunday, Jesus rising again, we would not have the hope of eternity with you. So today we say thank you. Today we say thank you for all that you have done. Thank you for being a God that is completely other, completely different than any other God. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Would you please sit down? So here's what we have. In your bulletins, I do have your worksheet today, so that way you can follow along, you can fill in the notes, and you can pay attention to kind of where we're at and what's going on. I want to draw out a few things for us as we begin to walk through this. Very first, here's what I want to show you. Scarecrow gods. Scarecrow gods are anything that I can imagine or make. Look what it says. It says that the other nations that you're around, the other nations that you're surrounded by, the other nations that are coming in and... and living next door to you. They have they're amazed by what's happening in the stars. They're amazed by how the planets are moving. They're amazed and they they actually say that's how we can tell the future. They're looking at the the stars and he says, Don't worry about them. And here's what he says, their customs are worthless. Why are they worthless? Because they are believing in the trusting in the alignment of the stars. They're looking to the stars to tell them what to do and what decisions they should make they're looking to their gods their little g gods their scarecrow gods for how they should live their lives and jesus or the lord is telling jeremiah make sure you proclaim and you tell the nation do not worry about them don't go their direction because it's worthless it's vanity to follow their direction why is it vanity he says because this is how they make their gods they take a tree they cut it down and they make their gods then they pour gold over it. Then they add the different decorations. And here's what happens with an idol. You ready? You know this and I know this. It's an assumed, we, we understand. It's, it's handmade. It's anything that you want it to be. Now, look at these different idols. You've seen idols. You've seen them from the old times. You've seen them from even in our day and age. You see it with other cultures, especially as other cultures are moving in. Especially as missionaries tell us about other cultures. We've seen idols before. They're handmade. They're carved. And people will spend hours and hours and days and weeks to form and to fashion their gods in the way in which they want them. Now here's where it begins to get interesting. How does this apply to us? We don't worship gods like that, do we? We actually reject and we say, no, that's not us. We don't, we don't have gods that we form and we fashion and we make. That's not us. And here's what I want to submit to you and I to think through. Is that even here in America, one of the things that we do is this. We exchange who God truly is for a God like we want. We change and we say, this is who God is. And I've read several things this week and I want to show you some of this stuff. I'm going to put a bunch of quotes up and I'm going to talk about some of the different gods in which we as Americans begin to serve. Donald McCullough, he actually writes... Uh, in the 80s and 90s here at the end of the the 20th century here's what he says it may well be revealed that the worst sin in the church of the church at the end of the 20th century has been to trivialize of God we prefer the illusion of a safer deity and so we have pared God down to a more manageable portion isn't that an interesting statement We've changed and we've moved God. Instead of him being high and lofty, instead of him being who he is, we've changed God and in, in churches, we began to move him down. Now there's several movements in which we wanted to, no one wanted to ever talk bad. We don't want to talk about sin anymore. We don't want to talk about God's wrath. We don't want to talk about hell. We don't want to talk about these things. And so what we've done is we made God something different. A loving God who's so kind that he never addresses sin, that he never takes care of things. So watch what happens. There was a a philosopher, Friedrich Nietzsche, who said, once God was declared dead, now he was a guy who who was anti-God, he actually talked about how that there was not a God, we killed God, and here's what he said, once God was declared dead, a reign of God's followed with everyone worshiping his or her deity of choice. So here's what I want to do, just to help make sure we frame this correctly. Because just on the outset, we'd say, wait, we don't make God. We don't do that. We know we're Bible-believing Christians. But I want to show you how our culture is beginning to seep in to Christianity. You ready? So here's some of the gods, the scarecrow gods that we begin to set up. The scarecrow God of pleasure. It's that pursuit of happiness, especially here in America. One of the fundamental things that we believe about God is that God wants me to be happy. And if I'm not happy, then I can change marriages. If I'm not happy, then I can change jobs. If I'm not happy, then I can be mad at God because God hasn't given me what I wanted. It's that pursuit of happiness. Robert Schuler, here's what he said. The gospel message is not only faulty, but potentially dangerous if it has to be put, if it has to put a person down before it attempts to lift him up. Isn't that a strange statement? You can't talk about sin and somebody needing a Savior. You just need to talk about all the good potential that they have. Another one, Neil Walsh. He says, your, your will for you is God's will for you. You are living your life the way you are living your life. And I have no preference in the matter. That's what he's saying. Now, here's what I'm going to make sure I, I set out as I continue to read a few more quotes and I'll walk through this. Guys, typically I don't necessarily talk negative about other people in christianity but what i want to show today is this that our culture is coming into christianity and people are not listening and not hearing how it contradicts the word of god and one of the things that we have to do is this is that we have to stop making god what we want him to be and go back to the scriptures and see who he truly is Does that make sense Okay, so this is not me just trying to be on a a high horse trying to bash people. I'm just trying to show you how it's coming in and how these scarecrow gods are coming into our church and coming into Christianity and they're filling bookstores and people are buying it without ever thinking through what's being said next. A scarecrow God, a scarecrow God that we set up is this, the God of love. Rob Bell, he wrote a book just recently. It went uh, very, very big. It was Love Wins. That was his book title. Here's what he said. Throughout the book, he denies eternal damnation. Here's what he said. A staggering number of people have been taught that a select few Christians will spend forever in a peaceful, joyous place called heaven, while the rest of humanity spends forever in torment and punishment in hell with no chance of anything better. This is misguided and toxic and ultimately subverts the contagious spread of Jesus' message of love, peace, forgiveness, joy, That our world desperately needs to hear. Do you hear it? Let me show you another one. God of children. It's the scarecrow God that our children are the most important. Here's what happens is that we begin to love our kids so much that we allow the kids to become the CEOs of the family. They now dictate and determine the schedules, they now dictate and determine where we're going, what we're doing. The kids end up picking church. Which church should we go to? No longer are parents saying this is the church we go to. It's all dependent on if the kids had a good time or not. Matter of fact, kids even determine if the families go. Kids are now the ones who dictate by sports or other. It's the God of children, the scarecrow God. The children are the most important. What about God of prosperity, health, wealth, success, potential? You can kind of wrap it all up. It's a scarecrow God in which we begin to trust. I need more wealth. This is who God is. God wants me to be happy, successful, wealthy, prosperous. Gloria Copeland said this, the word of God simply reveals that lack and poverty are not in line with God's will for the obedient. How do you deal with Jesus dying on the cross? How do you deal with Paul and his ministry and how much pain and suffering he went through? Another one that was mentioned is Joel Olstein that I, I think we have to at least speak every once in a while about. We need to address. His best his, his, new, his book that he wrote, Best Life Now, here's what he said. God wants to increase you financially. Even if you come from an extremely successful family, God still wants you to go further. And he continued on. And it was about how that you need to get more out of life because that's what God has really designed is that you have Your best life now here on earth. The scarecrow gods from our society are creeping into the church. They're creeping in. And the church needs to speak out and say, this is not our God. This is not the God of the Bible. Continue on. You ready? The God of spirituality. Now, I have to talk about Oprah. And every time I talk about Oprah, I get emails. So I'm ready for it. All right, I know it's coming, so go ahead. I'm not being mean about Oprah, but Oprah very clearly claims, here's what she says. You ready? I believe in the force I call God. And then she goes on, and she begins to piece out what she believes. And she demonstrates for you and I what this generation does. This generation is a fragmented spirituality. We want to talk about spirituality more than we want to talk about actually loving the one and true living God, Jesus Christ. They take religion, a little part of religion from Christianity, from Scientology, Buddhism, Hinduism, science, personal experience, and we say, this is what God wants, that God wants me to take something from every religion, because every religion has some form of truth. My friends, that's not who God is. He makes it very clear how you come to him, and you come to God by one way, and who is that? There's one door, and that door is Jesus Christ, and it's not taking pieces from every religion. Continue on, a scarecrow God. You ready? The God of sexual preference. The God of sexual preference. Paul Sherry of the United Methodist Church. They, they urged their constituents to give full participation to gays and lesbians in the ministry of the church. And said that those who opposed this idea should read the Bible again with new eyes. And listen to the Holy Spirit with new ears. That you're wrong if you actually deny that the Bible teaches against the homosexual agenda. March 17, 2015, Presbyterian USA to church today, um, they announced that the general office voted to amend their marriage statement to marriage involves a unique commitment, commitment between two people. They removed this idea that it was a man and a woman. The God of my gender is still also, hey, I'm going to set up a scarecrow God. God is no longer male, but God is also female. God is anything. Rosemary Ruther, she says, God is the primal primal matrix. The great womb within all things. Gods and humans, sky, earth, human and non-human beings are generated. They make a major push. There's actually a Bible translation now that actually sees where any time God is referred to as a he, that has been removed. And you can buy it in Christian bookstores now. Isn't that amazing? The God of my emotional needs. This is a scarecrow God of my emotional needs. That God is the grand psychiatrist, the counselor to actually meet all my emotional needs. We'll keep going. The God of the environment. The God of the environment. I had a, I had a friend of ours who, um, they, they live in a, in a pretty liberal area. And their little kid was in a, um, a daycare. And the little kid pulled off a leaf from the tree, which makes sense, right? I mean, that's kid's pull, And she got in trouble for hurting the tree. And she, they, she was told, you wouldn't like somebody pulling things off of you, would you? Isn't that amazing? The God of the environment, that God is, God is all about the environment first and foremost. Continue on. The God of experience. The God of experience. Go through a bookstore and look at how much is promoted and pushed about you can learn something new about God based on your experience. The bookshelves are filled with near-death experiences. So now you can learn about heaven, and now you can learn about who God is because somebody has died and went there, and they came back to tell you all about it. Betty Eddy, she says this. After dying, going to heaven, and coming back, she said this. Now she knows that there will be no judgment at death, just glad admission, To the realm that can be best described as a place where everyone is nice. That flies in the face of scripture that says, "It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment." And it's creeping in. And these are bookstores that people are reading. And it's that anyway. Let me keep going because I want to get through this. I the list. I just wanted to brainstorm some things for you so you can see. The gods are how they're coming in. The Greeks, Paul battled the Greeks, and their quest was for one thing. It was for knowledge. It was about knowledge. The more knowledge you get, the, the greater you would be, and their, their quest was for knowledge. Thomas Paine, today, he actually writes this. My mind is my church. Isn't that interesting? I can meet with God because I meet with God in my mind, and so my mind is my church. The Jews... The Jews were about light. They wanted to see light. And so it was always about light. Now today, where we have moved is this. If it feels good, do it. And now we even move one step further to now if it feels good, you believe it. God is security. We could keep going. So here's what I want us to see. It's easy. It's really easy to go back to the scriptures, to go back to the Jews and say, look, Look how they worshipped. Can you imagine them? they worshipped a a golden calf? Can you imagine? That's weird. It's weird to think that I'm going to bow down on a calf and say, look, I'm going to pay homage to this. But in their world and in their society, gods were all around and they were very visible. We can talk about the gods of money. We can talk about all the things. And here's what happens to us. We claim the one true living God. And then we live out. The way in which we say, well, the one true living God, he wants me to be wealthy. He wants me to have this. We make God what we want. Now watch what happens. Here's what happens in Jeremiah chapter 10. So they make God, they make the gods the way they want. They cut down the trees, verse 4, they decorate it with silver and gold. They even actually have to hammer and nail the the idol so that it doesn't fall over. And they put it on the shelf. They don't want the, the idol to fall over How flimsy to put your belief and your trust in something that you've made and that can easily fall over. But we do it. And then he says this, verse 5. These idols, their idols are scarecrows in the cucumber fields and they cannot speak. Here's your next one. Scarecrow gods can say anything that I want them to say. Here's what makes a scarecrow god so powerful in my life. Is that they can speak and they say what. We want. Now, listen to me. Have you ever heard somebody say, this is what God said to me? 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 me." Have you heard that? And here's where it gets really strange. You can listen to somebody pray. And as they pray and as they talk and they interact and they say, well, this is what God's going to do. This is what God's going to do. And God never does it. Have you ever had that experience? God told me he's going to do this and then they don't ever do it. Here's where we begin. When we make God the way we want him to be, and we begin to speak the problem with an idol or a scarecrow God is that they can say whatever. And what happens is this. We begin to put words into our God's mouth. Does that make sense? I begin to speak and say, this is what's going to happen. I have people all the time come up and tell me, hey, pastor, God's gave me a message for you. Really? Okay. Well, this is what he wants the church to do. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you're good. Well, when God tells me, then we'll actually do it. But they want to give you a message. And here's what happens. Here's what happens when we begin to put words into God's mouth. We begin to actually say, this is what has to happen. And when we make God say what we want, we fall into a major trap. Why? Because no one has lied to you more than you. Have you ever tried to convince yourself that you need to eat more chocolate? Or that you shouldn't be on the diet. Oh, well, it, this is not going to hurt me that bad, right? You can convince yourself of anything you want. And when we start making God say anything that we want, we run into danger, don't we? And we have to go back. That's why we have to constantly go back to the scriptures. Because if God is saying, divorce your wife, but yet in the Scripture it says, don't do it, what should you not do? You shouldn't divorce your wife. Does that make sense? Because you're trying to make God say what you want him to say. And yet the scriptures are the ones in which tell us what God says. Now watch what else it says. It says this. They cannot speak. They also, they have to be carried, for they cannot walk. So we walk around and we say, this is my God. And we carry our gods around and say, this is where he was going. And scarecrow gods, scarecrow gods, not only can they say anything, but they go any place that I carry them. Here's what, here's what happens. You find yourself in an addiction, in that cycle of always going back and around and over and over again, Is because you're carrying your God. I need my alcohol. I need my pleasure. I need, and you're carrying it. And the way in which idols have power in our life is because we allow them to stay in our life. Does that make sense? It's because we allow them to stay in our life that we actually say, you know what? I want God, but I also want this as well. And so we hang on to it, and we never actually ask for forgiveness and walk away, which is what true repentance is. We say, I'm sorry, God, and then we hang on to it, and maybe we move it from the center of our life, but we move it over here to the side. And when we do that, we still carry our gods, and we keep those little scarecrow gods with us, and they consistently have power, and they keep us in that cycle of sin. Watch what else he says he says, not only do we carry them, he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. I'm so glad God said they can't do evil or good. They can't do either thing. They can't help you at all. And yet you claim to them because they're security. You claim to them because they actually say what you want them to say. You cling to it because you can see it. It's tangible. But he says they can't do evil against you, and they t- can't do good. They can't do either one. So don't be afraid. Stop being afraid to talk about it. Stop being afraid to actually push it back. This morning, or yesterday, as we were walking in, it was dark. We were walking into our house, and as, we, as you get to the door, there's this little ledge, right? And something went right by my head. So I'm looking around trying to figure it out, and I see, oh, great, We've got birds again, the little blue swallows. Have you ever had those? They're the cutest little things. I mean, they're just that small. I mean, they're, they're not worth anything. You can't hardly, but my goodness, they get aggressive, and then they start, they start nesting, and then they start pooping all over your, your doorway, and then when you, they have the eggs in there, they start attacking you. And so this was last year. So last year, I said, okay, I'm going to fix this. Now, I'm going to have to do something different this year because they're back. I had, uh, Xander had one of these little wooden snakes that move. Have you ever seen <laughs> the wooden snakes? So I'm like, okay, I'm going to put the wooden snake up there. And I put the wooden snake up there. And I'm, I'm watching because it was kind of fun to watch. And they, the birds swung up in there and started them. And they start freaking out. And they're, they're, they're you know, they're making all kinds of noise. And then they start hitting it. Before the next, they were fine for the next couple days. They didn't come up. But then, it was about three days, four days later, I came home, and guess what? I found the snake on the ground all broken. They had tore it apart. They weren't afraid. They realized it was a fake snake. Man, these birds are smart. And so I ended up leaving them up there for, you know, last year. I was like, well, I guess they're going to stay up there. So last night, we saw it again, and I'm like, oh, I've got to take care of that, so we're going to have to work through getting rid of them. So if you have some more ideas instead of fake snakes, let me know. I need some help. But I bring that up because what happens with these scarecrow gods is that they are designed to scare. And in our society, we are told, hey, you can't talk about God not being this. You can't talk about God this. You can't do this. And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you by this next statement. You ready? The next statement is this. Don't be afraid. Why should you not be afraid? Look what it says in verse 6. Because there is no one like you, O Lord. There's no one like you. You are great, and your name is great and mighty. You are the great God. Why should we not be afraid? Because scarecrow gods can never, ever compete with a real God. Ever. They can't compete with a real God. That's why we need to remove them out of our lives. That's why we need to fight so hard to say, I'm trusting the one true God. Let God define who he is because God's not anything I want him to be. God is who he is. Which would you rather have in your corner? A scarecrow or an MMA fighter? You know, I think I could probably take a scarecrow on. Maybe. Right? In your mind, you're going, I can take that. But there's no way I'd want to get in a ring with one of those big guys. There's no way. They would tear me up. And here's what happens in our life. We start focusing in, and we start wanting God to be this smaller God. And when we make God smaller, we lose out. Because God is so much larger. We don't have to be afraid. We need to come and see who the one and true living God is. Paul does something incredible in, in, in his letter to Corinthians. He actually talks about who God is, and Paul had a great handle on culture and defining and helping them understand who Jesus is. You see, here's, here's the problem. We run away from God, or we actually try to make God who we want him to be, and we work through it all, and what happens is this, is that we fail to be actually truly be satisfied and truly find the joy of the Lord, and we run around being frustrated and upset, and we never really experience what it means to live in the fullness of God's greatness because we miss out on who he is. And we're trying to make God something else. And Paul does something with culture. Remember how I told you that the Greeks, they wanted knowledge? And how that the Jews wanted light? And how the Romans wanted glory? Look at this passage in, in 2 Corinthians. Let me read it to you. Here's what it says. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Paul actually combines and he says this, the very thing that culture was looking for, the very thing that culture was wanting to have happen in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, he says this, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in the hearts of men. To give us what? To give us the light, what the Jews were seeking, of the knowledge, what the Greeks were seeking, of God's glory, not Roman glory, but God's glory displayed in the face of who? Jesus Christ. Here's here's where it comes back down to. You're going to consistently be unsatisfied, consistently lacking, until you begin to understand that what culture is going after, it's only going to be found in one place. It's only going to be found in Jesus Christ. And when we come back to that, The challenge begins to be this. Instead of making God what we want him to be, let's start seeking who he is. And when you seek him as who he truly is, what you'll find in your life and what I will find in my life is this. There is joy unspeakable, full of glory, when I come into his presence and I recognize who he is. Because he alone fills everything that I need. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, can I just encourage you, today is a great day. Palm Sunday, the day in which Jesus comes in, entering the last week before his crucifixion. Jesus Christ gave his life to pay for your sins and to pay for mine. If you would simply trust him, give your life to him, ask for forgiveness, the Bible does something incredible. It tells us that Jesus will forgive you. No matter how you've lived, no matter what's going on, he will give you grace and he'll give you forgiveness. And then he'll give you the strength to live out the rest of your life in his glory, his honor, with his resources. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for your goodness. I pray that you be magnified, and I pray that you be glorified. Help us, help us as your people to go after you. Help us not try to make you who we want you to be, but God, I pray that you'd help us to see you as you truly are. In Jesus' precious name I pray.